Ever wonder if we're alone in the universe? Do you find yourself staring into the night sky, theorizing about the existence of aliens? Once you start asking the question, are we alone? Do you start to question, well, everything else? Who? What? Where? Why? Aliens. Alien Theorist Theorizing is a comedy podcast where your neighborhood armchair alien theorists theorize. Why would we want to leave Earth? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? (laughs) We're talking about space exploration, UFOs, extraterrestrials, cryptozoology, supernatural, and conspiracy theories. He's not an owl! It ends right there! He's never been an owl! So join us, the alien theorists, as we wade through the BS and get inspired by the possibilities. With open minds and open beers. New episodes every Friday. Listen to Alien Theorists Theorizing free on Spotify. scary to sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. Hi, how are you this week? I have something fun for you to do. If you'd like to, of course, no pressure. I want to do a special episode soon that involves your voice. Yep, you, yours. Every week you may not have noticed, but at the bottom of the show notes is a link to my voicemail box. I would like you to leave me a voice message. It can be to ask a question about the show or about me personally. You can make comments or critiques and I will compile them all and comment on them or answer them, whichever is appropriate. Don't be shy. I'm really excited to hear from you. Again, the link is in the show notes and is also posted in the Facebook group, Twitter and Instagram, all you know for the show. I can't wait to hear what you've got. I'm ready to be an open book. Now, let's get on with the show. First up is a story from Lindsay Hepburn. You know Lindsay from her other stories, like The Fall Favorite, Deadly Sins, Tall, Dark, and Handsome, Essential Delivery, and I know I'm forgetting one, but Lindsay is so talented, and I'm so happy she decided to grace us with another wonderful story. This time, she has for you, Strange Weather. They looked out the window in wonder. The small, well-maintained garden looked so different from earlier in the day. In the golden light of the evening setting sun, the snow-covered prickly pears and the golden barrel cacti actually looked like huge snowballs, or maybe more like a deconstructed snowman than their usual green ridged balls with thousands of thick sharp needles running vertically along their ridges. She and Kyle had of course seen snow before. Living in Marfa, Texas, they got a little snow most years, but That was more like the icing sugar dusted on top of those famous beignets at Café du Monde she and Kyle had enjoyed on their honeymoon in New Orleans last year. What they were looking at now was like a scene she would expect to see if they were 
looking out their window 640 miles to the north in Colorado, there was at least six or seven inches of snow on the ground and more falling. As they watched the snowfall, they noticed that the direction of the wind had changed and a dark cloud seemed to be coming in from the south, right from the direction of Big Bend National State Park. The park was 60 miles to the south of them and stretched over the U.S. and Mexico borders. Big Bend is a mecca for those who are interested in geology and paleontology. There have been over 90 independent species of dinosaurs found in this area alone. It is one of the most richly diverse for species, as well as the longest looks into the past. The area is so well preserved that paleontologists can look into the last 35 million years of the dinosaurs' existence before their extinction. This had always fascinated her. How could an entire species just die at one time? Sure, they say it was a meteor, but it was still crazy to think that they were here, and all over the world, and then just in one day, they were all dead. In the diminishing light, it seemed like everything got a bit darker, like the snow had soot in it or something. She wasn't surprised. That was some pretty strong wind. She was no meteorologist, but assumed that some dust had lifted into the snow when the direction of the storm changed and it blew across the open Big Bend desert landscape. In the morning, they woke to see that their garden no longer had any color and barely any definition. The rust-colored soil was gone. The various hues of green of their cacti and succulents had vanished. All that they could see was a blanket of pristine white. It was beautiful. Weird, but beautiful. There must have been more than a foot of snow on the ground. Neither of them had actually seen this kind of snow before. They hadn't made it further north than Dallas. And they wanted to experience this strange and, so far, once-in-a-lifetime experience. As soon as the coffee was consumed, they put on the most appropriate outdoor footwear they had. A pair of Chuck Taylor high tops for him, and a beat-up old pair of Doc Martens for her. After finding warm-ish coats and hipster-loving floppy wool blend hats with a cool microbrewery name on them, they took Chico, their wire-haired mutt, and ventured outside to explore their new winter wonderland. As soon as they went outside, they realized it was a bit warmer than what they would have expected for so much snow. It wasn't seasonal temperatures by any stretch of the imagination, but it was not frostbite territory either. She bent down and scooped up a big handful of the snow, thinking that she wanted to make her very first snowman. As she leaned over the snow and scooped up a big handful, she noticed a thin layer of black in the snow, about three inches down. She leaned in closer to dig away some more snow to take a better look, and then she was hit in the side of the face with a cold, soft, wet splat. Kyle was killing himself laughing and apologizing at the same time. Chica was barking wildly, so he had to shout over the sharp yips coming from the dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, babe. I'm sorry, babe. I was aiming for your shoulder. I didn't mean to get you in the face. Oh, 
<laughs> Babe, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> she looked up with a crooked smile and spat a bit as if she was trying to get sunflower seeds out of her mouth. Kyle! <laughs> she shouted. <laughs> that all got in my mouth. <laughs> There's dirt in there. That is disgusting. And then, you are so dead, she said as she packed a handful of snow, making it into a ball and launched it at him, Chico yapping and fighting at the falling snow that rained down from the ensuing snowball fight. They played a bit in the snow until the novelty wore off, and she wanted to head back inside. It wasn't cold cold, but cold enough that having her hands around a nice warm cup of coffee sounded like a pretty good idea. The air was warm enough, and she knew that in a few hours when the sun was fully out, the snow would recede down to that black layer and not look as pretty as it did now. She started to head back into the house, and Kyle said that he wanted to save some snow to see how long it would last in the freezer. If she was going inside, could she grab him something for him to collect the snow? She went inside, rummaged around the reusable container drawer that never seemed to contain the correct top for the correct base. It was like the equivalent to the bag of lone socks they kept in the laundry room, always waiting for their mate to be found, rarely fulfilling that mission. She came to the door and handed the container to him, and smiling, she said, Hey babe, when you are creating your experiment, can you please refill the ice cube tray? I hate going to grab some, and there always only seems to be one left. He smiled back at her and said, Yes, dear, in a sweet and slightly sarcastic sing-song voice. He gave her a peck on the lips and went towards a pile of untouched snow for his collection. He scooped up the snow with a large plastic yogurt container, the top overflowing like a gigantic snow cone he used to get at the fair, ready for the sugary colored food dyes to be poured on top. He walked it inside, put it in the freezer, got the ice cube tray, filled that up with water and put it into the freezer where he bumped the yogurt container and made the snow fall into the tray. He closed the door quickly before the germaphobe had a chance to see and ask if he could refill the tray. Their first year really had been marital bliss, but both of them had quirks that frustrated the other, as is the case when any two people spend endless hours with each other. They had moved to Marfa in the sixth month of the global pandemic, when both of them had lost their jobs in the service industry. They had both grown up in El Paso and met when they were working at Rib Hut while attending the University of Texas, El Paso. Now relocated to a small but surprisingly diverse town for Southern Texas, they were trying to find their way back into full-time employment. She worked part-time as a bartender and he as a server at Jet's Grill, the restaurant in the Hotel Paisano, where you could get a pistachio fried steak so big it could feed a small army and so good that you didn't want to share it with your favorite loved ones. They bought a small bungalow off the main drag with a cute little studio apartment that they intended to rent out to the tourists come summer rush. If there was a summer rush. As it stood now, they had very little time when they were not with one another. They worked, lived, and played together, they had not been in town long enough to make more than casual acquaintances and found that, although 90% of the residents were transplants like themselves, 
the transient nature of the town did not allow the locals to befriend you unless you were here for a year or more. The only time that they had for themselves was when their shifts did not match, like this afternoon. On her walk to work, she called her mom in El Paso and learned that they had also received snow and that her nieces and nephews were over at her mom and stepdad's place building snowmen and drinking hot cocoa. The little ones were having a ball and catching the snowflakes with their tongues. The older ones found the black layer in the snow and were making reverse Oreos and feeding them to the dogs. She touched base with her dad in Dallas, and they had also received a large amount of snow. It's like the Ice Age all over again. I've heard that this strange storm has left its mark on most of the USA at this point. Can't tell Aspen from Atlanta, her dad declared, before the line got cut off and she wasn't able to say goodbye. Meanwhile, back at home, Kyle was wearing his gray sweatpants, resting in his easy chair. He had poured himself a long gin and water, added a few ice cubes, and turned on the game. The ice cubes didn't have time to fully freeze from when he put them in the freezer this morning, and he saw what looked like a bit of black silt drift down from the cubes, settling at the bottom of the drink. He thought about making a new drink, but then shrugged and said aloud to Chico in the otherwise empty room, What doesn't kill me will make me stronger. When she arrived at work, she was told that the power was out in both the hotel and the restaurant. In order for them to ensure that they were not going to lose any of their food, they had brought buckets full of the snow into the walk-in fridge, where it was slowly melting on the floor and trickling down the drain. She called home to ask Kyle if the power was out there, too. But he didn't answer. She tried calling her brother, who was about 30 minutes out of town, in Alpine, but the phone line seemed to be down. She thought it was a bit weird that she only got a dial tone, but this was small-town USA, and even a small storm had the ability to wreak havoc on the utilities. She stayed in the bar and chatted with her co-workers for a bit while waiting for the power to come back on. She didn't feel that well and was getting a pretty serious stomach ache. She had one all morning, and it was progressively getting worse. Now she felt like she had something stuck in the back of her tongue. She excused herself and went to the ladies' room, where she opened her mouth in the mirror and tried to look inside. It was, of course, pitch black, so she turned on her phone flashlight and looked again. The back of her tongue was black, as if she drank too much cheap wine and or lots of really dark coffee. She had, in fact, consumed a few strong cups of coffee earlier today and not much else since then, so she figured that was it. She was just turning off her light when she heard a scream from the walk-in fridge. It sounded like Angela, the newest server. She ran into the bar area and joined her co-workers to see what was wrong. Her two co-workers stopped abruptly at the door to the fridge, blocking her view from what was making Angela scream. Angela burst past them and ran out into the restaurant and straight out the doors into the parking lot. She could hear the tires squeal as Angela drove away. She turned her attention back towards the fridge, which now had more room since one of her other co-workers had left the doorway and was now retching in the corner. Travis was bent forward, clutching his stomach and dry heaving. She knew by the sounds he was making that it would not be dry for long. She curiously pushed her way into the fridge 
and saw that the meat was covered in grotesquely giant maggots. They were the size of a large loaf of French bread, their black heads almost fully buried in the thawing flesh of the steaks, chicken, and other proteins. She stumbled backwards out of the fridge and backed right into Travis, who was still bent over, now fully retching. She lost her footing and began to fall, pulling Travis down with her. He slipped on his own vomit and fell face forwards on a shelf where he hit his nose and started to bleed. She righted herself and went to help Travis, muttering an apology when she heard a splat. She looked up to see one of the engorged maggots slide off the fridge shelf and slither over towards the warm blood, pulling on the floor near her feet. She yanked Travis away just as the maggot was approaching, its mouth wide open and black tongue flicking. Now that she and Travis were in the restaurant again, she told him that she was leaving and began to run home. She had to stop twice as the searing pain clutched her stomach and she thought she may pass out. While she was running home and thinking about the grotesque sight at the restaurant, she barely registered that the wistful white wonderland from earlier in the morning was now the color of two-day-old Times Square snow. Dirty. As she approached her front gate, she began to hear a buzzing from inside her garden. She had one hand on the gate, and one wrapped tightly around her stomach as she winced and pushed the gate. She thought that her recent adventure in the walk-in fridge was horrible, but she was not yet prepared for what she saw next. Chico was on the front path. His stomach had been ripped open, and there was a trail of red, visceral slime on the blackish snow leading away from his stomach cavity behind the globe-like cacti. She screamed and brought her hands to her face in horror. That is when she heard the loud buzzing that sounded like a large piece of paper caught in the fan again. She was in shock and just stood there staring at where the noise was coming from. She saw a dark mass slowly emerge from behind the cacti. The sounds that escaped her throat when her brain caught up with her eyes were inhuman. She was looking at a large, mutated mosquito. Its body was the size of a raven's with a long pointed nose that looked like the jaw of a sawfish. The long protruding nose had to have been almost 18 inches in length with clearly defined sharp teeth-like objects symmetrically jutting out horizontally on either side of the nose. It had two sets of translucent wings like a dragonfly. A road map of blood-red veins pulsed clearly interwoven through the wings. Six thin legs jutted straight out from its body, three on each side, bending 90 degrees and straight to the ground. It had vibrantly green metallic eyes, the size of golf balls, that shimmered every time a thin membrane flashed over them like eyelids. It clicked, cocked its head to the side, took a step towards her and clicked again, rotating its head to the other side. It was like it was studying her, just standing there in shock. A warm stream of urine 
running down her pants. It started to click more and buzz its wings again, which made the trance break and she ran towards the front door, slipping on what remained of Chico before catching her balance. She opened the door in panic and ran inside, yelling for Kyle to help. She ran into the living room and saw the back of his chair, his gray sweatpants stretched out on the leg rest, and the TV still on with the sounds of the yells from the game still blaring. She ran around to the front of him and saw with disgust that one of the massive maggots was crawling out of his throat, taking bites of his face as it went. She looked away and caught sight of the TV. It was not yells from the game. It was yells from the players as they were being attacked and eaten by swarms of flying creatures. The same as she saw in the garden. The saws were used to gouge the people and the insects released long tubular tongues like a butterfly and slid it down the players' nostrils and began to feed. She could not, would not, believe her eyes. This was impossible. Again, her stomach gripped her in such pain that she fell to the floor, wrapping her arms around her body. She brought her knees to her chest and lay in the fetal position. She could no longer see the TV, but she could hear the announcer's panicked voice. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been informed that this disaster we are seeing here in Atlanta is not an isolated incident. It seems as if the lower United States of America is experiencing a similar deadly infestation. Uh, uh, what? Are, are you sure? Um, we are also getting reports of sightings of these insect creatures in Canada, Cuba, New Zealand, most of South America, and now into Europe. Australia has been destroyed as has China. It appears that this will soon be a global infestation, with the chances of survival for any mammal very The TV then cut out, and static took over. As she lay on the floor, nearly passing out, she again thought of the dinosaurs. She was now acutely aware that it was not a massive meteor that had destroyed them. She was sure that the cataclysmic event that wiped out an entire species was in fact these blood-sucking creatures. The weird weather caused by climate change had somehow brought their eggs north in the snowstorm, where they got rehydrated and once again had access to meat to feed on. She knew in that instance that humankind was over. She reached her hand out and grabbed Kyle's gray sweatpants and uttered, I love you, babe. Just as her stomach tore open and a satiated maggot pushed out.
last for this evening is another story from John S. McFarland's fantastic book, The Dark Walk Forward. I was so happy to see that after the episode, The Little Dead Thing, that so many of you went out and bought John's book. I hope you're all enjoying it, and for those of you still a little on the fence about buying it, or for those of you who have it and would like to have one more story read aloud to you, here is Mal Ardent. No, Dad. I'm not going to kill you. I know I threatened to when you threw me out, and there was a time I would have done it, but no more, whether you deserve it or not. I've decided it's not up to me. That idea, that preoccupation with revenge, was destroying me. Forgiving you is just self-preservation. You have to live with the kind of man you were, father and husband if you have any part of the conscience left. I know you're in this old cavern of a building somewhere. Scary place. Haunted, Mom used to say, and I can believe it. Odd sounds, the blizzard, the wind howling like it is. I'm gonna keep talking to myself, just for the company. Maybe you'll hear me coming. Dr. Treves knew you were despondent, depressed, and afraid of me. Thought you might go into hiding. I've searched the old house on Malardon Street and your other properties around town. This orphanage is the last thing you own. Lots of places for you to hide here. This is the last perfect place for you to hide. I hear movement downstairs. I know it's you, son. I tried to hide the fact from you that I bought this old building. It was a secret transaction. Didn't want the family to know. But someone is downstairs, three floors below me. Who would come out at night in a snowstorm and break into an abandoned building? Except for a man with a mission to fulfill. I know it's you, Henry. This room here, this was the infirmary, I think. Torn wallpaper, anatomical chart on the wall. Little brown girls being indoctrinated by their nuns. Brought here for their scrapes and cuts. Some died of diphtheria, I remember mom saying, and measles. Academy of Perpetua. Then the orphans came, and they changed the name to Phrygia House. But the nuns stayed, until the church lost interest in this place and its mission. Nothing here in this room. This room next door looks kind of official, like an office. Maybe the principal was in this room? The mother superior? Are you in here someplace, Dad? You'll freeze in this rambling old place. Hasn't been heat or electricity in here for years. No place for an old man as weak and old and sick as you. Weak and old, 
Abusive fathers never seem to foresee that timid sons can become angry men. You didn't foresee that, I know. A man who hates himself will hate anyone who loves him, Mom used to say. But if I could only tell you, you have nothing to worry about. I don't forgive you on second thought. You don't deserve it. You are just irrelevant and ridiculous now. Old and vulnerable. The time when you were important or fearsome is long past. Self-preservation, like I said. And to show you I'm not the person you are. I hope you'll give me the chance to explain myself when you find me. If you find me in this labyrinth of a place. Who doesn't make mistakes in this life? Aren't I being punished now? Who has ever committed an offense bad enough to deserve what is happening to me? Dr. Treves told me everything when I got in town yesterday. With a blizzard, I didn't think I'd make it, but after his telegram, I knew I had to come. He bought his new fluoroscope machine just to study your case. First one in St. Odile County. He studied you for months under the machine. He couldn't believe what he saw. We always thought it was odd that there were so many twins in the family. Four sets of twins in the same generation. You were one too, though your twin didn't develop. Not at first. Treves told me that spot on your back... That hair-covered mass was your twin. Somehow it didn't die, and your body didn't absorb it. It was just dormant until 18 months ago, when it began to grow again. Incredible. Dormant for 70 years, then active and growing, stealing nutrients and energy and life from you. To his amazement, Treves said it is the twin that is absorbing you. Who has ever suffered so much, Henry? My body is being ripped apart from within. Is being replaced by the monster growing inside of me. God's punishment for the misery I have caused. It seems so. I will probably die in this tiny, freezing room, hiding from my children. What a coward I am. I should face my accusers and accept whatever comes from the two of you. Instead, I am in hiding with my gun under my pillow when I should not even defend myself. I would give whatever I have left to have one last peaceful and loving moment with you, son. I would preserve that in my mind for the rest of my days. 
and it would be all I need. I need that. Is... is it too much to ask? This must have been a classroom. I think the snowfall has gotten worse just since I've been here. Just a few more rooms to check on this floor. Treves asked me a question. He said you wouldn't answer for him. He wanted to know about Ida. Poor little Ida. My little sister. What a horrific, short life she had. The doctors in St. Louis recognized the condition immediately. Harlequin ichthyosis. The thickening, cracking, and discoloration of the skin. The blindness as the eyes film over. Her eyelids and mouth turned inside out. The struggling just to breathe. You rejected her. You denied her and left her at this very orphanage to die. So affronted by her condition that you called her a demon, a devil, and you refused to even pay for her care. The nuns could not refuse her. She died after five days. Then you abandoned us. And yesterday, Treves told me that the twin growing inside you and replacing your body with its own has this condition too. The fish mouth, the cracked plates of skin, the bulging sightless eyes, the suffering. These are what you can expect. You may be there now. I will soon know. I hear you on the stairs, Henry. The stairs to the second floor. I can hardly see anything now. Just blurs and shapes most of the time. I don't think I will be able to see your face very well if you find me. My eyelids and mouth have been turned inside out from the swelling of my skin, as Treves told me they would. My skin is thickened and cracked into plates with wet fissures in between. Yes. Your sister had this condition, and I hid her away. I knew that walking these halls, she is on your mind now. I reviled myself too much in those days to admit I could produce such a child as little Ida. I couldn't stand the thought of it. So, here I am. Suffering what she suffered. But as for you, Henry, and also Virginia, my two healthy children, 
who needed to love me in spite of it. You too, and your mother. What can I say to you? They should tear this old building down soon. Not much more use could be had out of it. It would cost a fortune to make it usable again. I guess Virginia and I will inherit it. Unless you've cut us out of your will, Dad. And you probably did that. Even though she's in state care now, I think she will be well someday. After you're dead. And if there's any inheritance to be had, she'll be taken care of. If. You never cared for your family's needs. Only your own. You had no use for me and your businesses, so you cast me aside. You get what you can out of a person. Even your own children. Then you're done with them. If you're in here someplace, you must have a lantern and a kerosene heater. Otherwise, you'd freeze. (sighs) I want to find you and get you out of here. Back to our old house. This is no way to die. Not even for you, Dad. I looked all around outside the building before I broke in. I didn't see any light in any of the windows. Mom loved this old shambles of a building. Since she grew up across the street, it sparked her imagination. She wondered about the lives of the girls who were schooled here and later about the orphans. She told me once that she thought this place was haunted and that there were stories back then that it was. She loved sitting among the old sunken graves where the nuns are buried under the avenue of cypresses. She wanted to be buried there, too. But she wasn't destined to be buried in any hallowed or consecrated ground. Was she? Suicides are forbidden. Virginia and I always knew it was your fault. Indirectly. You were long gone by then. But Mom somehow convinced herself that your destructive nature and the collapse of our family were ultimately her responsibility. I could hear Virginia crying in her room on the night of the funeral. Crying so loudly, I think many of the neighbors on Mal Ardent Street could hear her too. I helped her understand that you, Dad, are made in such a way that you can feel nothing but disgust for anyone who loves you. Just as Mom had said. In some way, Mom herself had forgotten that. The rest of these rooms look like dormitory rooms. I guess all the classrooms were on the first floor. All these broken windows and the wind howling through here. I doubt you'd be on this floor. You're getting closer now. You're on those creaking old oak stairs 
leading to the third floor. I'm at the north end of the hall, if you make it down this far. But my lantern is turned down low, and my door is closed. I don't know if I can speak to you when you come. I can see a little better now. A few details. I would love to see your face again, Henry. I would love to make something like a smile at you with this fish mouth of mine. Something you recognize as a smile. If you want to kill me, you'll do it. But I will be smiling at you when you do. If you know it or not. If I can't see your face, I'll think of that perfect baby boy you were. Despite how I destroyed my family, I was proud of you all. But even I know that doesn't mean much now. Not to you, and certainly not to Virginia, inside her lunatic asylum. A young and vigorous man has the strength to defend his mistakes and shortcomings, to be entrenched in them, no matter how wrong they are. An old man who has outlived his time has no such twisted luxury. He is at the mercy of those he has wronged. If I could have one more perfect moment with you, I would preserve it, and that would be all I would need for all the time I have left. third floor. You're either up here or nowhere in this building. <laughs> this is how selfish you are. You hide in this freezing old building to preserve the miserable life you've had. If I were you, I would want it over. Want the memories obliterated for good. But not you. You see something to preserve in all this destruction. <laughs> Something to be preserved at all costs, and I'm not sure why I want to help you. More dormitories. Ghosts in every freezing room, I think. The daughters of slaves. Daughters of displaced Indians, then orphans. Cast-offs from the orphan trains, or unloved little monsters like Ida. They all left something behind here. I can feel it. Nothing in this room. How could children live in these tiny spaces? Two or three to a room. <sighs> Across the hall. It looks like there might be a light in there. I think I've found you, old man. Yes, there's a little light flickering 
you're in there. I'm not here to hurt you. Yes, I hate you. But I have put it in the past. I will do what I can to comfort you and reassure you and make your last days easier. You are my father, after all. (gasps) You found me. I can see well enough to see the horror in your eyes at the sight of me. I want to speak to you, but I can't. My fish mouth will no longer make words. I am the same monster your little sister was. This is my punishment for abandoning her. I can see it in your eyes, but there's something else here, too. God, compassion, from that comes forgiveness, the look in your eye shows me, shows me the kindness in your heart, this is the moment I have prayed for, this is the moment I want to preserve, this is my gun, Henry. If there were any expression possible in my face anymore, you'd see it is not aimed at you from fear. It's love and thankfulness. This moment to be frozen in love. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to my authors, uh, Lindsay Hepburn and John S. McFarland. Remember, you can go by John's book. I'll leave a link in the show notes. Um, Thank you so much to both of you. Lindsay, you've written so many stories for the show. Just thank you so much. Remember to leave me a voice note. I don't really have a deadline. Probably I would like them done within maybe the next two weeks, though. That would be really great so I could get that bonus episode out. I haven't had a bonus episode in a while, and this one is really exciting. I'm really excited to see what you have to say. I already I already have a few voice notes from the past um, not quite a year since I've been with Anchor, and so I'll, I'll be using those too, even though some of them are pretty old. They're from when I first introduced voice notes. I think I mentioned them a long time ago, just sort of in passing. And now I really want to utilize them. Um, I do already have one critique and I will play it. It's fine. (laughs) I don't don't mind. Um, The only things I won't play, obviously, is if there's something disgusting or like, you know, like some sort of slur or something. Um, You know, if it's really bad, I won't play it. But, you know, if you have something to say, say it to my face. I'm kidding. It's fine. I'm sure they're all going to be great. And if there's anything you have to ask me, then feel free to ask. Um, you don't have to leave your real name. That's fine. Um, you can leave an alias. That's I totally get it. Um, 
Uh, if you could leave your pronouns, that'd be great. So I know how to refer to you. That would be awesome. Uh, and yeah, I think that's it. Um, I made banana bread this week, and last Sunday I made the best rolls, the best dinner rolls I've ever had in my life. Oh my god, they were amazing. They were just so good. Um, my banana bread was great too, but I, I make banana bread pretty frequently because my husband tends to buy bananas and forget about them a lot. Um, and I hate food waste, so <laughs> whatever's a good excuse to make banana bread. But those rolls, I'm just still thinking about them. Anyway... Uh, I'm so glad so many of you asked for that chocolate chip cookie recipe. Uh, you were all very excited about it, which is great because I was so excited. So when you guys get excited and about something that I'm also excited about, it makes me very, very happy. All right. Uh, I think I'm going to let you go because I'm starting to ramble. <laughs> so leave me a voice note. Go follow the show on Twitter, uh, Instagram, the Facebook group. Um, the Facebook group, remember to answer the questions, please. And if you invite people, I love that. Just have them answer the questions. We've been getting some bots and things, so just have them answer the questions. It's great. Um, you can answer them in a funny way too. You don't have to be super sincere. Don't worry. As long as I know you're not, you know, gonna peddle, uh, snake oil. I don't know. Unless it's oil for snakes in a good way. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. It's late. I'm going to go. All right, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Murder in America is a true crime podcast that covers stories from all 50 states, including stories of mass shootings, serial killers, and lesser known murders. Do you find yourself doing more research after listening to a true crime show? Well, Courtney and I used to do the same thing, and that's why we created Murder in America. Our podcast dives deep into each case. Our storytelling will make you feel like you're right there within the case with us, watching it all play out. And we do not shy away from the graphic details. If you're a fan of true crime, then listen to Murder in America on Spotify now. Every town has its dark history. Hometown Ghost Stories is a paranormal podcast that goes town to town all across the globe, exploring the world's most haunted places, tapping into the dusty archives and the darkest corners to bring you the most terrifying stories of real people and their harrowing experiences. Hometown Ghost Stories dives into the history of haunted locations and investigates why and how these places earned their terrifying reputation. Rob, Dave, and Jesse go live every Tuesday night after an uninterrupted documentary-style breakdown on the case, followed by an open discussion with live viewers. Subscribe today to listen to Hometown Ghost Stories on your preferred podcast platform or watch the video version on YouTube and now Spotify. Head on over to the Bloody FM Podcast Network and check out Hometown Ghost Stories, if you're brave enough. (laughs) 